Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of John. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blutville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We continue with our study in the Gospel of John. We're wrapping up chapter 7 and getting ready for chapter 8 as we continue in the march toward Calvary, Golgotha, and crucifixion. We studied last time in particular about Christ's teaching presenting himself as the Messiah. He was the one that was presenting the living water. He was presenting himself as Messiah and gave every reason why, and certainly enough reasons why, people should have believed upon him. And yet, they did not. In fact, we even had there in verse 52 of John chapter 7, Uh, when they were questioning, that is, the religious leaders were questioning Nicodemus, and they asked him if he was from Galilee. He said, Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. The prophet, that is, the Messiah, certainly did not come from Galilee. We understand that. He came from Bethlehem, and that is the Messiah's hometown, his birth city. However, when you do your research, you will find that there are prophets that came out of Galilee. Not the prophet, that is the Messiah, but many prophets came out of Galilee. They were wrong. Oftentimes, when we are so dogmatic, we find ourselves to be incorrect in the final analysis, and that's true in this case as well. This statement of out of Galilee comes no prophet is incorrect in these regards. Jonah was from Gath-Hefer, 2 Kings 14.25, and that is in Galilee. So Jonah came from Galilee. Nahum was from Elkosh, which also was called Capernaum. And Capernaum is the village of Nahum. That's the translation, the village of Nahum. And so it was renamed in the honor of the prophet. You can see Nahum 1.1. And so Nahum was from Galilee, Capernaum, okay? And then Hosea is also believed to be from Galilee. And so the Pharisees were once again incorrect in their understanding of Scripture. And you find that often in our dogmatism and our attempt to be so legalistically correct that we wind up making a mistake. And they did. And it's recorded here. The mistake is recorded. Also, I did read uh, between our teaching sessions that There was a commentator that uh, very 
bluntly put that uh, while Nicodemus may or may not have been uh, a follower of Christ at this point, he was probably the one that gave the information to John for John to write this in his gospel about this happening here in particular. Whether that's true or not, don't know, but it's an interesting insight nonetheless when you start seeing the humanity of Scripture. Let's go back to verse 39 of chapter 7 for just a moment, and then we'll get into chapter 8. Uh, if any man thirst, verse 37, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. I just wanted to make a note about that before we moved on to chapter 8. It seems to me that one of God's purposes since the beginning has been to dwell with humanity and to enjoy fellowship with us. You remember, God walked in the cool of the evening in the garden with Adam and Eve before they fell. God does this in this dispensation, this time of grace, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit occurs automatically when a person is saved. It's not an experience in the sense that the Holy Spirit is God himself. And it produces, his indwelling produces all sorts of spiritual experiences uh, for those who know Christ as their Savior. The Holy Spirit remains permanently in the child of God through Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the basis of all other ministries uh, in the Holy Spirit is his indwelling. That's the basis of it. The source of new life in the believer is the Holy Spirit. And so, the living of the Holy Spirit within you, his indwelling, should motivate the believer to be careful not to harm his body or indulge his body in sin because we are not to stifle or quench the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is a wonderful thing to walk in the Spirit and not to value the things of the flesh. And so here, this was a prophecy, if you will, a prophetic understanding that the Holy Spirit was coming and that the Holy Spirit would be a wonderful addition to those that believed upon Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 53 in John 7 has been contested by a number of people, but it simply says this, and every man went unto his own house. And then, if we didn't have the chapter 8 delineation here, it would just simply go into this verse, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. And so they went to their house, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Remember, Jesus didn't have a house. He didn't have a roof over his head. Uh, it didn't... 
It didn't occur to them to come and see his house because he didn't have a house. So he went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now let's set this up for you. Chapter 8, beginning. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. What did he normally do at the Mount of Olives? Have you been there? If you've been to Israel, you've probably been to the Mount of Olives. And when you go to the Mount of Olives, it's right next door to the old city. It's just right at the wall of the old city of Jerusalem. And you're there at the Mount of Olives. What did Christ do? He prayed when he was in the Mount of Olives. You remember studying this in Sunday school that the night he was betrayed, what did he do? He went to the Mount of Olives. And why did he go? To pray. To watch and to pray. To watch and to pray. And early in the morning he came again into the temple. How early? Probably at daybreak or thereabouts. He came into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. He was teaching them. Now, when you think about the ministry of Christ Jesus, we think about miracles, we think about signs, we think about signs that are taking place in people's lives, and yet it was the teaching of Christ that was so very, very, very important. All of it was important, of course. But the teaching of Christ was so important. It was so important because... That's what his followers are going to be moving on and living on when he's gone, are the teachings of Christ. Did he not say when he was with us? Will be one of the phrases that we read uh, after the uh, journeying of Christ through Calvary and the grave and resurrection and ascension. Well, here he is teaching. And the teaching was interrupted because the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. My, they were timely, were they not? Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Catch what was written next. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. Well, if a woman had been caught in adultery, she, not, she would not normally be brought to a rabbi, to a teacher. Um, the scribes and Pharisees wanted to trick him. They wanted to see, would he defend a sinner or would he uphold the law? Moses commanded. They quoted the Old Testament accurately, but they didn't quote it completely. But they did quote it enough 
that the accurate uh, quote was there, that they had to be stoned if they were caught in such a sin. They wanted to accuse Christ of not obeying the law when we know from Scripture that he was the only human being, very God and very man, but the only human being who has ever fulfilled the law, that is, done exactly what the law required in all things. Here they are trying to impress the Messiah the King of kings and Lord of lords, they're trying to impress him with their knowledge of the law. Now, one of the most scurrilous things that you could do would be to commit adultery. It was a scurrilous act. It was an act that harmed more than one. It was an act that harmed many. And it was an act that was abhorrent to the people of Israel. It was abhorrent to God. That's why God said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. It is very gross sin. And yet they weren't concerned about the adulterous relationship. They were concerned about trying to trick the God-man. They were trying to trick Jesus. Notice what he did. He stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not, is parenthetical. Uh, That was inserted by a commentator, but he wrote on the ground. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto unto them, He that was without the uh, sin among you, let him cast a stone, first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. What was he writing on the ground? Was he writing their names? Had he identified every one of them? Or was he writing the names of the women that they had had illicit sex with themselves? Or was he writing down their name and some sin next to it that that they didn't want to expose themselves to? I don't know. But again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, after giving them the command that whoever's without sin let you cast the first stone. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now here these rabble-rousers, these Pharisees and scribes, had come bringing a woman that they had probably solicited for sex, and she had committed adultery with one of their own, or with one that was duplicitous with them, someone that had agreed to be a part of the plot, because you don't commit adultery singly, you have to commit adultery in a couple, And uh, so this one that committed adultery apparently had a partner. I mean, that would stand to reason, wouldn't it? But the partner was not there, or maybe the partner was. Maybe the partner was one of those accusing. I don't know. But they had set this whole thing up, and they were going to perhaps sacrifice the life of this woman to meet the law 
when they had intended that as a trap against Christ. How hideous these people were. These guys certainly didn't need to be leadership of any sort uh, in in uh, Israel. I mean, that just it doesn't make any sense at all to me uh, that they would be allowed to continue leadership when they're of such evil strain. However, we see that even within the church, do we not? That there are evil people often that get into the church leadership and destroy the local church or the denomination. Absolutely. It's what's been going on ever since the day that that Lucifer fell from grace. And he gets his minions to go with him. And they present themselves as angels of light when they are nothing but demons, creatures of hell. And that's what these people were doing. So when Christ said, whoever it is without sin, let you cast the first stone, he did something. What did he do? Well, he was stooping down to write, but what did he do by the, by the command? Well, the command was such that if you don't have sin, you can cast the first stone. So who's without sin? Well, that's nobody. But did they realize that? There were probably some that didn't quite realize that. But they were smart enough to start moving out pretty quick. Some say that Jesus had written something down on the ground that, that caused them to move. Whether he did or not, I don't know. But Scripture says they were convicted by conscience. And uh, in parens, it's their own, but by conscience. Notice the Holy Spirit was not at work at this time. And it was the conscience in these people that pricked them and caused them to go out one by one, starting with the oldest one, all the way down to the younger. And the woman was left standing with Jesus. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now notice this woman taken in adultery. Jesus was the only one left with her, and he is truly the only one who could have condemned her in any respect, because he was the only one there without sin. And if he had chosen to do so, he could have picked up the stone and cast the first one. He could have stoned her to death had he chosen to do so, but that was not why he came. He did not come into this world, we find in John chapter 3, to condemn the world, because the world's condemned already, but he came that the world might find salvation through him. And so he didn't condemn her. He was the only one there that could have, and yet he didn't. They all admitted they were sinners because they left. That left Jesus, the only one. And such a case, a case of adultery under Moses' law, required two witnesses. It required two witnesses. 
when there weren't two. Now notice, he knew that she had a repentant heart, or he would not have said what he said. Go and sin no more. Until the heart is repentant, until the sin is taken with gravity and not lightly, then sin no more would never work. You have to understand that your sin is a terrible thing, and you have to forsake it. But notice, Jesus Christ did not condemn her, but he gave her command twofold. Go from this place and sin no more. When we have a confrontation with Christ Jesus, that's what he tells us. After we've come to him and been forgiven of our sin, we're told to go and sin no more. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bumpville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.